Okay, we're on the podcast. We're live. We're not live. We don't run this live. We're we live. post it after. <laughs> How many are tuning in? <laughs> uh, at least two. Uh, I got Aaron Daly on the podcast, guys, which excited. is really exciting. <laughs> excited to be here. Honored to be here. Yeah, we're 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 just gonna get into it. I've known Aaron for a really long time, a whole year. A whole year. And there's a lot I still don't know, <laughs> but. She's not only very different than other people I know, but pretty dang cool. So we're going to talk a little bit about her life story. Everything that's happened since she was little up to now. That's a lot of things. And how it happened. That's 27 years of things. Yep. (laughs) Let's get into it. So who is Erin Daly? What are you doing right now, I guess? Okay. Yeah, yeah, let's start there. Mm -hmm. um, I've been living in Utah for the last, gosh... What year is it? It's 2022. 2022. Yeah, it's been 10 years in Utah. Really? 10 years? Yeah, and that's the longest that I've ever lived anywhere, which is crazy to me. You bounced around. We bounced around a lot when I was growing up. Um, But yeah, working out here now, I I studied at the University of Utah, studied finance and French, Mm. graduated with a bachelor's degree, and uh, settled into a job in advertising. I work for MRM McCann. McCann. Doing business analysis. Business analysis. Okay. Mm -hmm. What does that entail exactly? It entails a variety of things. And are you just looking at metrics and stuff? See how everything's going? Well, it, depending on the context that you're in, business analysis can mean a lot of different things. My role is actually much more product focused than it is data focused. Okay. So our, we do the agency that I work at does all digital products, website redesigns, landing pages okay. for some big name clients. So we get to work on a lot of really cool stuff. But I do, I work on the technical team. So I work to interpret and understand requirements from the client based on a vision that they have for a particular product. For those digital products. We want to redesign gotcha. our website. Can you help us accomplish X? Um, I help bring that like, vision. Talk to me. Yeah. I'm here. I'm here for you. <laughs> yeah. I, I do all the, the listening and the note taking and then the... Well, it uh, sounds like you've been good at that, you know? I enjoy it a lot. Really? I don't know how good I am. I don't have any experience in it. And so being in the space for the last couple of years has made me feel... I was telling someone the other day, it's kind of funny, there are times where I still feel very much like a little kid mm. in my job. And then I realized that people actually rely on me for things and they ask me questions and I know the answers. <laughs> like, you'd be lost without me. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> this is a pivot from feeling like the, the person in the room that has no idea what's going on. You so. thank God I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a raise. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly. awesome. Yeah. It's cool. It's, it's something that helps me learn all the time, especially since I don't have a technical background at all. It's really cool to feel yeah. like... Every day is something new. And that, that's part of the power of the agency, too, is that we're working on different projects all the time. And it changes quickly. It's hard work, and it's a lot of work. But I think I'd be bored otherwise. Gotcha. Really you got a lot of energy under there. Yeah. Yep, totally. <laughs> yeah. And you get a lot of FaceTime with the clients yeah. and stuff. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That and sounds with perfect. The, and with the technical teams, which is actually my favorite part, because they're the problem solvers, and I get to, like, inherit the solutions from okay. these like really smart people and yeah it's really cool i'm like, gonna manage y'all yeah and we're gonna do great things <laughs> exactly together. that's pretty awesome yeah it's cool it's that's cool. sweet so you've been here for 10 years mm-hmm. you did school here and everything and if i understand correctly this is where you converted to the Correct. church of jesus christ of latter-day saints that is true that is true which is a whole thing too that but, is a whole topic so 
Where did you start? Where Where are you from? Um, I claim that my roots are Ohio, Dayton, Ohio. That's okay. where I grew up. Um, I was born in Fishers, Indiana. Okay. Uh, lived there for about five minutes. And then my family moved to North Carolina, Asheville, North Carolina. I lived there for maybe two years. Mm. And then we ma- made the move to Dayton, Ohio, which gotcha. is where I grew up. Um, we moved to San Diego, California when I was a freshman in high school. Oh, okay. So there was kind of like two zones of shaping years where like all of my upbringing was Midwest, mm-hmm. but high school is still a, a pretty pinnacle part of someone's life. And I did all pretty much all of high school in San Diego, California. So okay. that was kind of a, a culture shock and an adjustment to pivot from Dayton, Ohio to San Diego, California. It was really different, but Totally. And was all your family in Dayton as well? No. So my family's East Coast. Um, oh. my, both my parents are originally from Brooklyn, New York. So, oh, so none of them have been there yeah, at all. We gotcha. were, we're really the only ones that ended up on the West Side with the exception of one, two of my mom's siblings, one hmm. in actually both in California, different parts of California. But pretty much everyone else is either Jersey, Pennsylvania, Chicago, New York City. So that's that's where the the meat is that's where the roots are I guess gotcha that's where my heart is I think (laughs) my my heart and my mind were crafted by an east coast influence so gotcha I I was built in the in the midwest and I that's where I I feel like I adopted like some weird isms to my I I I'm told out here that I have an accent oh really yeah and I don't know if that's Ohio or not but yeah, parents are... I thought it was just you. <laughs> <laughs> She's just throwing her spin just on my, things. Yeah, yeah, my weird little quirk to the English language. That's probably part of it, too. Yeah. But, yeah, parents are from New York, so... Gotcha. I spent most summers in, in New York growing up. That's where we vacationed and spent time with my grandparents. And Gotcha. Yeah. So your main influence in picking finance, what was that growing up? Uh, that was, um, I don't really know what I want to do. And okay. this feels like it'll challenge me. Okay. And um, a little high need for achievement <laughs> in there. Maybe That's what li- I'm picking up on. <laughs> maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit. Yeah. I. Um, it's funny. I had like a really pivotal moment in the business school where business majors were kind of slammed by my business um, law professor. <laughs> oh, okay. And I found myself agreeing with him. And it was kind of an interesting. While you were a business major, gotcha. Yeah, Um, yeah. I I would say that when I when I was little, growing up, I wanted to be a broadcast journalist because I idolized Diane Sawyer, and Mm. I thought that she did everything that I wanted to do. She got to see the world up close. She got to ask really interesting questions. She got to meet fascinating people. She got to understand different perspectives. And I don't know where that kind of got lost along the way because I know I explored that quite a bit in high school, and then getting accepted to the U, I kind of just pivoted. There was a, an opportunity to, to join an honors program at the University of Utah that was kind of a jumpstart into the business school. Okay. It's called the Business Scholars Program. They give you kind of an in-depth view of here's what the different facets of the, the different degrees that you can get with under the business school umbrella. Yeah. Take the time to explore these. You can choose a direction and it'll really help you to kind of move in the direction that you want to go and it was kind of my in for scholarship into the U. And so hmm. that kind of like <laughs> self-selected the the business direction for me. And then doing that program, I felt like finance was the most analytical and interesting. Yeah, um, absolutely. 
It, and did you move here for school or? Yeah. Yeah. You graduated in California. Yeah. Graduated right? high okay. school in California. And then my dad actually accepted a job offer in Utah. So my parents were going to be moving oh, to Utah. Anyway, so you're kind of like, so I'll it, meet you there. It matched. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'll see you there. We'll, we'll just meet there. So they moved to Park City. My dad accepted a job offer. And are offer. they still there? No. No? They've since moved. They're all over the place. They, they move They keep every, bouncing, huh? Yep. Yep. So they're in Washington State now, Seattle area. But, oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And what, what lets them bounce around all the time? My dad just likes new projects. Okay. <laughs> and thankfully, he married someone that doesn't mind a little bit of adventure in their yeah. lifestyle. So they moved quite a bit. My dad works in technology, so he has frequently taken the opportunity to take on new projects. He helps companies kind of stand up their technology practice, and he's worked with a lot of startups over the last couple of years, and okay. that's kind of his gig. So. Do you guys get to – does your job intersect at all with well, what he does? It's funny because I remember people as a, when I was growing up would ask what my dad did, and I never knew how to answer the question. I would just say, oh, CTO, because that's the only term that I knew. But yeah. aside from that, I couldn't actually tangibly talk about anything that he did, and we get to talk shop all the time now. And he's – That's so great. He's way more involved in technical aspects that I couldn't even begin to understand, and there's, like, different facets to my role that aren't really related to what he does but it's still similar enough that we can yeah. have conversations about it. And I, I think he's excited to have someone that understands like corporate stuff. Someone too. finally gets me. <laughs> I can bring my work home. That's yeah. so funny. And your, your mom, what does she do again? My mom practiced law. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, she retired when my brother and I were born um, mm. and stayed home with us as, as we grew up. Um, but she was a practicing in, attorney in New York City okay. before that. So, and now she, she works, um, she does search and rescue actually with dogs. Oh, so, really? Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So we have, I've always had German shepherds in the house. Well, they're really my mom's dogs and she's trained four or five of she's them. Like, These are do. my employees. Don't exactly. touch them. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. She's got the stickers on the car, the vests for the dogs. You're going to make them soft, Aaron. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. The dogs, the dogs are smarter than their kids are. I think they're That's awesome. more intellectually capable. That's wow. for sure. <laughs> that sounds so fun. I'm getting like just the impression of all this stuff. It's like there was a lot going on. You're moving around. Anything could have happened. You could have gone anywhere. Yeah. And you ended up in Utah. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, you know, it sounds like that was mainly to kind of be close to family as well. You know, you're like, yeah, like I could go anywhere, but you guys are going to be there and I'm used to moving anyway. So why not spend time there? Exactly. The yeah. I think it felt new and familiar at the same time for exactly the reasons that you stated. I don't yeah. know that I consciously was like, I want to be close to mom and dad, but I, I hadn't even really considered the University of Utah Then we found this program and then everything happened with my dad's job lining up and suddenly it was like, this makes perfect sense. And, um, I, I, looking back, you see the dots connect and it's, it's amazing to see how much Utah's given me and mm-hmm. how much it, it meant to my family to, to have us close for a little while. My brother was in the Midwest for school, so except for him being kind of far away, it was it was nice to have my parents right there in Park City. Yeah. They were there a majority of my collegiate years and That's moved awesome. on like my senior year of, of college, but by then I was kind of like settled into having a community and everything. So That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Let's really cool. say, are you planning on staying here? Is that the deal? Or yeah. until, you know, bigger and brighter things show up, I yeah. guess? Yeah. Yeah. I think I, there's a lot that I still have to gain from my current situation. I, I have a really great setup at work. 
a really great team and a huge like learning curve still to endure that I, I don't really see myself pivoting at all. I certainly don't see myself changing as far as like my career direction goes. And there's a lot of like lateral movement that I, that I can make with my current company, which mm-hmm. is really exciting. Um, and the, the lifestyle here is so in tune with things that are important to me being yeah. outside and, um, just the, the community of the church too, being here is really powerful. And I, some of the best people in my life that I've met have been through that community. And mm-hmm. I, I feel it, it definitely has become a home away from home. Even when my parents have moved around that I still have people that are like family here. So, yeah, yeah, I think the, the roots are definitely growing strong in Utah. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. yeah. It's going to take a lot to make you leave. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So, yeah, like, so how did you first get into that community with the church? When did that become something that was appealing to you? And I guess, you know, how was that different? What has that brought to the table that maybe wasn't on the table before? Yeah. Because you had a very diverse background. I don't know how spiritual you were before yeah. you interacted with the church and what was going on there. So just talk about that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, the whole context. Yeah, so um, I grew up Catholic. My parents are Catholic. Mm. Um, my mom's Italian and my dad's Irish, so there are pretty strong Catholic roots yeah. being tied from both both sides of the family. And um, I would say that our participation in the Catholic Church was seasonal. Um, yeah. We were Christmas and Easter participants. Um, the fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And my, my parents always had um, a really close identity with what represents strong Christian values mm. without necessarily putting a label on it. Um, and I think that's what's really helped shape some of my perspective for what good Christian values can look like. Even okay. if someone doesn't have to have a name tag that says I'm a Christian to, to be a good <laughs> moral upstanding person. And yeah. I, I think having that context of belonging to a faith, but not so much so that it disassociated me from my peers growing up was really valuable. Hmm. Um, I, I think I always had like, I always had a belief in in a higher power, but didn't un- really understand tangibly what that meant or what it meant to me personally. Yeah. Um, and then moving to San Diego, uh, there's a pretty strong LDS population in the area that I moved to. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the kids on the cross-country team were LDS. Oh, and so okay. I got like immediate exposure. I had never heard of the church until yeah. I met people in San Diego that were members um, and two of my best friends were really strong in the church, um, really faithful members of the community, though, too. And I saw how they interacted with everyone and the influence that they had on friends from all walks of life. Um, and I, I think the first thing that was interesting to me was just simple invitations from those friends to come to certain activities that the church was putting on. Um, and one of those being seminary before Mm. school and I would run sometimes before school. So one of my friends knew that I was awake anyway. So the the time commitment to get up early and go before high school was probably the the hardest thing to maybe get someone to do, but she knew that wasn't going to be as much of a struggle with me because I was already awake anyway. So, um, accepted that invitation. I think it was like bring a friend to seminary day or something, some, some kind of <laughs> plug to try Here's to my get friend. <laughs> yeah. So she brought me, I was her, her Catholic friend that she brought to, to seminary. And, um, it was honestly just a really cool experience to see a bunch of kids my age just 
caring about being happy, optimistic people and doing good things for people around them. If I had walked into seminary and felt like there was a bunch of doctrine being shoved in my face, I think it would have been not appealing to me. Yeah. Um, I I was one of those people that probably, I I really didn't even meet with missionaries all that much because um, it was too intimidating. And yeah, it doesn't really appeal that much, you know, especially (laughs) to a kid. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I went to seminary um, and, and kind of started to get into a regular practice of going to classes just because I liked how I felt when I went. And mm. it was a, a powerful experience to learn about a more tangible relationship with the Savior and feel like it was something that related to me mm-hmm. personally. Um, there, there was a small part of me that felt like in the Catholic Church, because everything is so symbolically represented, that I wasn't quite sophisticated enough to understand my relationship with God, and oh. it therefore wasn't as accessible. Um, yeah. Whereas the introduction into the LDS Church, it felt a lot more tangible, that I, I could, Jesus was someone that we, we know, and that we can learn about and then we can talk about and and so is God. Mm. And that was kind of interesting to me and I I think I people talk about spiritual gifts. I I think I think just being a believing person is is a gift that I have. Wasn't a hard sell. It it, it, yeah. it wasn't a hard sell for me to feel yeah. like wow, that sounds really great and I don't know I, I remember sitting in a devotional once and someone speaking said, honestly, if none of this is true, I can at least get to the end of my life and feel like I lived a fulfilling life directed yeah. by the right things and, and trying to make the right decisions. And I thought, hmm, that makes a lot of sense to me, that if, if I feel like I can make sacrifices for bettering myself and hopefully bettering my community um, and being a good person for my immediate circle and make some kind of positive influence there and the church is going to help me do that, then that's really cool. And Hmm. so fast forward to committing to the University of Utah, same thing. I, I ended up in the dorms my freshman year and kind of naturally gravitated towards the LDS kids, um, not only on my hall, but in some of my classes. And yeah, you're gravitating towards all directions. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and one thing kind of led to another, just the the continual influence and participation that six months into my freshman year, I decided to be baptized. So, wow. Yeah. That's incredible. It, it just seems like that, that was already something that was going to happen anyway. Yeah. It seemed kind of inevitable, just yeah. the way you're describing it. You're already looking for just kind of like a brass tacks way of like, how do you live life? Yeah. How do I do it in a way that you already had the values there that yeah. you wanted and yeah. you just want them to express in a more tangible way? Yeah. I see. And I think the church really does like foster certain types of, I think my personality type fits well with people that. Go into that. What do you mean by that? <laughs> <laughs> What's your personality type and how does it fit in? Well, it's funny because yeah. I now after COVID, I feel like I would answer that question differently, but certainly as a as a high schooler and a freshman, well, even throughout college, I was overwhelmingly extroverted. Mm. Anytime I took any one of those self-assessments, it was like a hundred percent on the extroversion scale. I'm leaving no room. Right. No room. (laughs) Hate spending time with myself actually. 
Um, Is that still true? No. No, okay. So that's why that that changes quite a bit now. Um, And I find that I'm actually much more central on Mm -hmm. that scale. Um, I intentionally let people know that I'm busy because I want to read my book and I want to like, sorry, sit man. and write or doodle. I'd love or, to be there. Yeah. <laughs> doing that thing that sounds boring, but I've got a book. Yeah. Yeah. But I think because um, there's so much, I think the way that people define discipleship is, is based on people's connectivity to others. Hmm. And I, I don't, know how much I agree with that kind of I, I think that excludes a lot of people um, yeah. but I, I think it's the mask that um, is put on discipleship in the church that if you're extroverted and therefore inviting a ton of people to do a bunch of things all the time you're seen positively yeah. in the church yeah. um, which I mean there's a lot of power in that, and there's a lot of people that do a lot of good because they have natural tendencies to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I definitely had those social skills, and I cared a lot about helping people around me feel good. And so... All right, this will be I, easy. I, I, <laughs> I think Move like, over, guys. <laughs> no, I just think like <laughs> diving in, it was like, yeah, like this, this really has helped me to feel like I'm living a fulfilling life, and I hope that other people have that experience. Whether they're associated to the church or not, is, I, I mean, even just people in the wards that I was in, it's like, yeah, let's, let's make this everything that we can make it because yeah. why, why wouldn't we? So, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with that. No, I agree on so many levels with what you just said. I am not that type of person. Yeah. So, but that is certainly the type of person that is seen as what we need, right, in the church. Right. right? But that's the thing is, it is a person we need. I think all people are needed in different ways. Right. But I think your personality, as well as anyone else who's super good at networking, managing people, getting stuff done, right? Making your vision kind of melded with the churches, the vision that you use to get things done. I think, yeah, there's a ton of power to that. I think it's valuable, but it also is the other part of me that knows so many people that would probably associate with you and your personality type. I I feel for that. And I don't, love how much the church associates and affiliates a bunch of like positive things with the like we need x person Mm. there's there's a lot about looking a certain way even aesthetically (laughs) in our culture that is really off-putting maybe that's a little too forward (laughs) (laughs) But it is. No, I think what, it's kind yeah, of scary. No, what do you mean? You're just kind of like, just too too many people are kind of falling in line with the same look. Is that what you're yeah. Saying? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, the number of girls that I know that like are going to buy something just because some LDS girl from Holiday bought it and posted about it on Instagram. Is, oh, yeah. Sorry, that was kind of a weird no. pivot. But I just, <laughs> I don't know if that happens <laughs> in other states and in other cultures, but I've never seen... Like it probably, I mean, it happens in pop pop culture with celebrities all the time. I'm right, sure. right, right, right. In a like, huge macro scale, but now we're getting so tight. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's so weird to me. Yeah. It's just odd that I don't. I don't know. I guess so much of I mean, if you met my parents, it would make a lot of sense why I'm like I'm gonna be me and I don't want 
anyone else to influence that because I care about showing up as myself. That's like my mom to a T. Gotcha. Um, and it used to mortify me as a kid. What do you mean? Well, just like in grocery stores, she had to talk to everyone. She was always the loudest person in the grocery <laughs> that's store. That's how she's being her. Gotcha. Yeah, that's how she's being her. And <laughs> mom, I was be like, less you. Be less you, mom, because this is, it's too loud. <laughs> but now I see how much I am that. Mm-hmm. So we're, it's just a chip off the old block, but. Gotcha. And she just, she's just a ball of sunshine. And anyone that has any goodness in them is drawn to my mom. She's just the best person, but. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. Anyway, no, no, I, no. Well, I, you know, I think it is valid because um, I'm just thinking if ever everyone in the world were like me, I don't know how much would get done. Right. Right. And if everyone were like me, yeah, everyone would be too overwhelmed to get anything done. <laughs> everyone would be overcommitted. Yeah, and I just I think that there's surface level things that are attractive about someone in certain environments, mm-hmm. and we don't talk enough about you and I have talked about this topic before the extroversion introversion scale it's a conversation that I have frequently at work because my boss is an introvert and I'm an extrovert and I've learned a lot from him um in what that looks like and how to tap into helping someone be successful okay yeah when they're extroverted versus when they're introverted and anyway I just I think the the church looks at extroverts and it's like, it's, it's like a really exciting thing yep. and introverts can make a lot of impact in, and this is a huge generalization, of course, because there's plenty of introverts serving in leadership capacities that make a profound impact, but it's just more behind the scenes and yeah. it's going to be that way because that's the tendency. And yeah. I, I wish we uh, talked about that just as much as we talk about the, the person that gives great talks every or bears their testimony every Sunday because they like to hear themselves talk. <laughs> I don't know who that would be. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Not me. Yeah. It's interesting because, like, everything we kind of do in the church is connected on an extremely social level. Right. Right. And there is stuff that happens behind the scenes, so to speak. But everything that you know, is referenced in the day-to-day when we're talking about people and what you should do seems to be something along the lines of that really open social level. Yeah, and it's the uh, same thing in corporate America. <laughs> yeah, which, you know, which is really interesting because it, it, it does feel like business people thrive in the right. church in right. a big way. And it right. seems like being business-oriented in some way is strongly encouraged, um, is sought after, and it is really weird how, like, in this little community, it sort of, it, like, just sorts itself into these different hierarchies yeah. naturally, yeah. right? It's like, okay, this is, you know, we're a religious community, but then why are we, why do we have a CEO, you know? Right. And, like, and then we've got little managers here. It seems to just naturally go that way. Yeah. And, which is so bizarre to me. It, like, it seems like it should be somewhat immune to, like, what's going on in the world. Sure. But it seems like all these things that are happening outside of it are just being represented within us right, as well. Right, And, uh, you know, we, we, we look at families as kind of like these building blocks of the whole mm-hmm. structure. But in the end, it's just really nice to have those families because they're easier to mobilize, right? right? It's like if we can get just one, like, you know, the, the family on board, then we can just, you know, get all this other stuff passed through. Right. And uh, I don't know. I just think that's so and people, interesting people love the phrase in the world but not of it and yeah. i find it wildly ironic how much <laughs> of the world 
our it culture is. is yeah. And how much the community cares about who Bippy's bopping. Yeah. And I just can't buy into that narrative. It's very <laughs> hard to buy into. To you know, it, you know, uh, to some level, I also am just like, why wouldn't it be this way? Because, you know, when you see the people in your community, now you're connected to people like through your work, but then your religion is also the same people too, to some degree. Yeah. And you're kind of all on the same page. It's like, why wouldn't you try to look like that person that sure. is leading you? It sure. almost seems like a natural thing to do sure. for some. Sure. Not for me, but yeah. for some, I sure. get that. I remember this guy telling me, I, I'm not going to say his name, but I remember, so <laughs> when I was on my mission, there was a guy who came and spoke and he gave this, like, he told this whole story about how um, the suit he was wearing was like a, two, I want to say it was like a two button suit. But then he saw the prophet at the time wearing a three-button suit, and he said, I went out and bought a three-button suit. Why? Because I watch what the prophet does. That's what he said. And that was supposed to mean something important when he said that. And I sat there going, what does that mean? <laughs> what are you saying? Like, like I have to like dress in the like in the small minute details of how he tailors his suit and he's like and then the next day and this was the craziest thing to me because he didn't even like recognize how so there was no conclusive point to that That no that was it and then he says right after he's like and then the next day uh general conference i saw him wearing a two-button suit and i was like so you were wrong right i was like (laughs) what is happening here what is going on let me tap into that journey. Like, what is that? <laughs> I know. I have no idea what journey oh my gosh. you're it was, to be taking with that. <laughs> it was such a head trip. I was just mulling it around for days because, like, what am I supposed to take away from that? And, but, you know, we have this impulse to be like, if someone we respect has kind of a moral and a spiritual authority, we watch them and are like, if I can emulate them sure. in external ways, maybe I can gra- grab on ways. to some of those right. internal things that are going on. Right. And I think that's totally fallacious. It's like not at all true. No. But it, it organizes us yeah. right? in certain ways where we're like, if I do this, if I appear to be doing this, and therefore I will be moral, right? Right. Problem is, is like Jesus was talking about the whole time how that's wrong, right. you know, which right. I get very confused and, you know, conflicted with is that, was observing a lot of Jews just look, focusing on the external attributes of spirituality right. that had nothing to do with the internal. And I he had, said, that's wrong. I had someone tell me that once, a friend of mine, that it was more important to him to do the right thing because he knows it's the right thing than to mm. do the right thing because he feels compelled to do the right thing. Okay. If yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I had, that has never sat well with me mm. as far as and I, I'm curious what you think. I just, I don't, I, to, in my mind, I, I'm going to do good things because I feel like I should do them. And I'm yeah. not going to pretend to do something because I know it's the right thing to do. I, I think there's a quote by Elder Maxwell that I really love. Um, and he says, God does not begin by asking for our ability, but simply for our availability so that we might prove our dependability and he might therefore increase our capability. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm chasing it down. Right. Okay. All to say, though, that our our natural ability and capability is not ne- necessarily something we can achieve by, like, clenching our fists and gritting our teeth. But if we make ourselves available mm. to the powers of heaven, then we can, therefore, have the Savior help influence have our capability. Have the willingness to right. do it. And so I've always thought that that availability 
is it should be the focal point. And mm. people have different ways of making themselves available to God. Yeah. And that can look and taste and smell and feel different for everyone. And they're going to access him in different ways. Um, but I think if your day is structured to be available, then any abilities that would be natural to what your purpose is, is going to come as an, a natural consequence of just being available to, to, to him to be prompted to do what, whatever you need to do. And therefore yeah. me manufacturing, like I need to do this thing because it's the right thing to do it, to, to me doesn't align with me naturally just being available to, to having God access me in the way that he needs to, and therefore have me do the things that he would want me to do. Yeah. Because it's like, you're your own person. It, it stands to reason that you're specialized for certain things, right? right? God doesn't make us do all the same things all at the same time. Right. Right. And like so, he, yeah, it doesn't make sense to make someone who's really bad at one thing, has no inclination to do it, and, God, you know, God's just, like, too bad, you know? Yeah. And I get being willing to do things that you sure. don't want to do. Sure. I totally get There's that. There's a whole sacrificial, like, yeah. principle that is It shouldn't always be easy, but at the same yeah. time, it feels like we need to play a little bit with people's strengths, right? Well, I think there's a reason that, I mean, we get specific blessings to understand that purpose, and then it's almost like we throw it out the window and we're like, but I have to do this thing. When we're like naturally wired <laughs> to do things, certain things well. Yeah. And it, it, it kind of goes back to the whole extroversion, introversion argument where it's like, why, why aren't we just like setting people up to succeed in ways that feel natural to them and, Absolutely. and celebrating those? Like if it's the expectation that you have to clench your fists and grit your teeth and be president of FHE and throw all these parties... Yeah, I I, ju- I just think there's there's other people that are gonna do really well in that territory, and if if we utilize you in a in an area that is natural to the way that you already live your life and how you already are available to to God and access Him, then that's gonna be much more fruitful. Absolutely, yeah, because it's like I don't know, because you know we treat it as almost like. I don't know. It's like it's almost like communism in the way that we expect everyone to be able to do the same things, same things just yeah. as well. Yeah. And it will get you so far, but it does have a ceiling, you yeah. know, because pretty soon you're not specializing anyone and you can't get good enough at anything. Yeah. Right. And then you also have this problem with people being a little bit miserable with their, their, what they're being forced to do all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Man. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where else I was going with that. <laughs> I just feel like... Uh, yeah, I just feel like there is a place for every single person mm-hmm. and, uh, it, we, even though we say that, I don't feel like we mean it all yeah. the time because, uh, the structure th- isn't really set up to like foster it. And I don't know, maybe it is, I guess. I mean, I've always been the person that cares to have independent experiences with my faith. I think it's really personal. And so I enjoy solitary moments of worship that aren't necessarily about um, sharing that overwhelmingly so with other people. I I just think those moments are just as important, if not more important, (laughs) than Mm. the ability to express them. Um, And I I think even when we talk about like testimony meetings and stuff, it's like you see the same people generally standing up at least for the most part. Um, and not giving testimonies, giving talks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I I just think that there's so much to be said about the rest of the room that's 
also sitting there bearing testimony that mm. internally, yeah. you know, in ways that are really intimate. And some of the most spiritual experiences that I've had have been accessed through those private moments. And I think there's something sacred about that to, to keep it for you and for God. And yeah, absolutely. I don't know. Maybe that's controversial. No, no, I don't think it is. No. <laughs> uh, it's, We're heating up. It's like, how do we make everything more equitable for people it's like we shouldn't all feel like we get to express everything that we want to all the time but we should all feel that there is a moment at some point where Mm -hmm. we can every Mm -hmm. person can and feels comfortable doing that Mm -hmm. but the format we have is like very geared towards yeah certain people being able to take advantage of that and feeling Mm -hmm. really good because they're like look i'm taking advantage of the opportunity to express myself spiritually and another person may, you know, I felt this way. It's just like, as a kid, it's like, I wish there was a different way I could do that. Yeah. You know? I wish, like, I, I did. I was like, I wish there was a different way to show that, like, I do care. Like, this means a lot to me, but I don't really want to get up and do that. Yeah. I Like, the first time I ever did it, I was 12 years old, and I get up to share my testimony, I sobbed through the whole thing. Now, lots of people thought that was pretty darn cute. But it, I was horrible. It was, like, almost yeah. traumatic for me, yeah. like, because I was a mess because it was nervous, yeah. you know? Like, I'm sure I meant what was going on, too, but, like, the amount, like, I was just completely flooded with yeah. everything you could imagine in my system. And I, I was shaking for, like, hours after. I yeah. was like, that was terrifying. Oh. But once I got locked in, you know, I had the, the mic in my hands, yeah. and I'm like, here we go. <laughs> I'm going to ride the lightning. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And then, you know, weeks after, like, well, people come up to me like, that was amazing. I was like, yeah, I know. Like, I look like a mess, you know. I know what you're trying to say. <laughs> but, yeah, I just kind of wish. But at the same time, I felt so good about myself, you know. Right. That's what I was about to say is I felt like, validation. I felt for... like I had done the right thing right. for once. Right. You know. Right. I felt like. Yeah, and it was something, and like there's something to like people saw me doing the yeah. right thing. There was my dad shared this experience with me that I that actually really resonated, and it's a I I don't know if it's a, still a practice that takes place in the Catholic Church, but um, around Easter there's a tradition to set up the the Eucharist in the in the center of the chapel. Yeah, Eucharist is a representation of the body of Christ. Um, you receive it as communion. Um, Every Sunday Um, in the Catholic Church, they believe that once blessed, the bread becomes the actual physical body of Christ, Mm -hmm. that it's not just representative. Yeah. So there's a tradition um, to watch over the Eucharist for the duration of um, Easter Sunday. Okay. Kind of as a representation of watching the body of Christ um, before he's risen. Before he rose, okay. And my dad had this experience where, (laughs) this is in Brooklyn, New York, I think he was like seven or eight, and um, times were different then, so um, doing this wasn't really dwelled upon too heavily, but um, it was a 24-hour watch, and none of the adults wanted to do the like overnight watches so some of these little kids would get like volunteered to just like stay up for i think you got like an hour shift you got night's watch timmy yeah exactly don't let us down (laughs) so little little deal got his hour watch at like one in the morning or something wow and no no access to phones or anything you sit in a chair by yourself Mm -hmm. with dim lights in the chapel and just the eucharist next to you 
And my dad says he remembers just sitting there and for a while, like kind of being bored because he's eight years old and doesn't know what else to do. And then realized like, well, I guess I don't really have anything else to do other than talk to God for a little while. And what up, man? So th- <laughs> he's lying right here. Right. So that's what he did for, for the, the rest of the time. And I just, I don't know, it was like a silly little story, but it kind of resonated with me because there have been times where I've gone in to church on a Sunday, hoping to kind of sit by myself to just have a moment. Hmm. And our church it, in with the right intentions almost doesn't allow that to happen. Like, yeah. I've never been able to successfully sit by myself. You get intercepted. Right. Yeah. Which I think there's a lot of value to that. I, I can see what the motive is there. And I, I certainly have been on the other side of that, serving in Relief Society presidencies, trying to make sure that people are accounted for, that everyone feels welcome, that everyone feels like they have a place there are certainly, I'm sure, people that show up hoping to have someone to sit with because they don't have anyone to sit with. Oh, yeah. But I think there's just, there's more unique experiences than that that we need to consider. And I've had some emotional Sundays where I genuinely just want to be alone because I need, I, I, I need to be at church mm. and I want to be at church to have the opportunity to take the sacrament. But please just let me have this moment by myself so that mm. I can commune with God. Yeah. And not feel insecure about someone I barely know sitting next to me while I'm having a vulnerable experience internally. Yeah. I'm one of those people that will usually sit in tears during sacrament. And so that... Right. You're that, feeling it. Yeah, yeah. And those moments are personal. And I that's yeah. I have holy envy of, of Catholicism's solitary practices because... I don't know. I don't know if I, the, I had an yeah. institute professor talk about this concept of holy envy, and it was fascinating to me that, like, I, I just wish we had more open-minded people that could think about like other conventions and other churches that we can mm. feel like, hey, they're doing that thing right, and it's yeah. not necessarily a poor reflection on the way we do things, but it's just different and it's cool. And exactly. I think there's probably lots of people that have holy envy for maybe the way that we do things in the LDS church and. I certainly get nostalgic for a lot of the Catholic practices, mostly because I envy some of those solitary experiences. Because you've seen it done maybe a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That, that's yeah. so interesting. What was I gonna, man, what was I going to say? I just think um, it's weird. We segment it a lot because there is that time, but it seems to be like in the temple is the only time really for right. that solitary reflection. Yeah. Which is really bizarre. And then the brief moment during the sacrament. Right. Which is incredibly brief. Right. But all the time, every sacrament, this is what happens. Um, you know, they, they play the hymn, they're breaking the bread, doing the whole deal. And then Denali, my wife, she just hops on her phone and starts just like messaging like every person she's forgot to message during the week. And she's going crazy, yeah. right? She's just hyped up on this. And I'm sitting there going like, can you chill out? I'm like, <laughs> can just you just think about Jesus, right? <laughs> it's like It's like the only time where I'm like, Everyone's quiet, but we're all together. Right. And we could be thinking about that. And there's something about that that feels cool. Yeah. And you're just kind of like, sweet. And then Denali's like, not sweet. You know, <laughs> like I'm bored. <laughs> That's hilarious. And she panics. She panics. She jumps what to do the I phone. Do? Yeah. She goes to her squeeze ball and goes crazy. Um, and that's always something like we've been so different on, Yeah, you know, and it, yeah. it's so interesting to me because I think that's, I wasn't always that way, but you, you know, you pick up on those things and you're like, man, you really do need that isolation. I think it's the availability <sighs> thing too. It's like, yeah. how do, I, I don't see how you can ever, heaven could ever have access to you if you're constantly distracted by <laughs> yeah. things. And we get two minutes of that in sacrament meeting and then yeah. expect people to, to find that in their weeks. I, I just think. I don't know. There have been several times where I go to 
I go to church and then I go to mass because mm. I get a moment to just sit yeah. and listen to Latin readings yep. and beautiful hymns sung by beautiful choirs and then just silence. And it does something completely different for yeah. you. Yeah. Oh, that is so interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, it's a lot of work to go to the temple. We, we have a yeah. lot of barriers to it, yeah. you know, yeah. that are just literal obstacles in your way. Yeah. Um, which I understand why. It just seems like that higher church that we have. Yeah. Oh, man, there's just a really, there's, there's a niche for it, though, that mm-hmm. we need in these other places that we yeah, need. Yeah, I, I think we talk so often of a refuge, and I think there's so many, like, sacred and holy experiences to be had in the temple, but there are moments where... I drive by the Madeline downtown and just pop in for a mm. second just to sit and I can come as I am. And it's just <laughs> jeans and a t-shirt. I sit in a in yeah. a pew in the back and just sit in the silence and enjoy the beautiful artwork. And I, my dad. It's not the same in a basketball court. Huh? No, not exactly. <laughs> not exactly. My dad used to always say, because we've had some interesting discussions, too, about faith, and um, he mentioned once to me maybe spending a little less time thinking about my relationship with Jesus instead of just having one. And there are certain practices Mm. in our church that I feel like are... you like do pro- it projections yeah. almost of like I I'm just thinking so hard about how to connect to Jesus rather than just like just find just be still in certain moments or just do the mm. things that feel natural to you and that's like when I go running that's time with God for mm. me because yeah. that's been natural to me since I started in fifth grade and yeah. it just has always been a time to be pensive and thoughtful and. I think those are holy experiences. I know Elder Christofferson has a talk um, called A Sense of the Sacred. And he talks about finding sacredness in ordinary things, in mm. people, in some of the, the activities that we do. And I think people often expect that we need to have these like elevated experiences in order for them to be spiritual. But I think everything can be. Yeah, that's a good point. Hmm. Yeah, I totally lost my train of thought because I was just I was just in there. I was having flashbacks and all this stuff. Yeah. But that is interesting. I well, you know, you mentioned for a second, like with your parents, I was wondering, like, uh, how'd your parents feel, you know, with you joining the church and stuff, and was oh, there anything going on there? You yeah, because sounds like you're you're able to talk about spiritual things, and it makes a lot of sense for both of you. So, oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, my I'm really lucky because I I hear a lot of horror stories about people's conversion. To any faith, really, and ostracizing the family because of it. And my, um, the first thing my dad said to me was, your mom and I are always supportive of you making choices that are healthy for your life. Mm-hmm. And that was really profound and taught me a lot about how, how they are in all aspects of their lives. They welcome everything as long mm. as it can... <laughs> reinforce goodness in in people's lives they're so open-minded yeah to, to how people access goodness i yeah. guess and um and they knew why you were doing it right right they're just respecting right how you and were doing the, it. yeah and they they raised me in a way to know that i'm gonna make thoughtful decisions about things and that i i don't do things <laughs> didn't like, raise no dummy right <laughs> and i don't do things half-heartedly and i don't do things that i don't want to do and um so that that was a it, it was a really sweet experience um to be able to share that with them and feel like i was taking this exciting step and 
it's it's really only brought us closer because it's helped me to find strengths that I didn't know that I had and to connect mm. with them in ways that I maybe wouldn't have known how to. And, um, yeah, we've fostered some pretty strong connections and get to have some really interesting conversations about it. And I, I just appreciate that they're willing to learn from me and to teach me and vice versa. And That's so, awesome. Yeah. It's really cool. It's really cool. Yeah. It just sounds like there's no pressure there. Cause it's yeah. like, Man, I, I don't know if this is the right thing to think, but uh, just like with the church, it's kind of like you're in it or you're not in it. And if you're not in it, then that's not necessarily a good thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's a very black and white yeah. way of thinking. Yeah. And which is why, you know, I almost get nervous like when, you know, just like on my mission, it was like it was almost weird talking to other people because it was like, you know, it's like you're kind of implying that the way they're doing it is totally wrong, even though I have no idea how you're doing it. Right. right? right. I don't know what your day is like. I don't know what your relationship with God is right. at all. Right. But I'm telling you it's wrong. Yeah. And that you need this. Yeah. And that always just kind of was like, that this weird? is a difficult pitch, you <laughs> yeah. know? I was like, this is really tricky, guys. Yeah. And yeah. like when someone like fell for it, it's just like, dude, but like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're not doing anything, yeah, let's get you on this, right? Yeah. We've got a good program. We'll get you started. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's always tr- been tricky for me because, yeah. Um, yeah, it makes us kind of closed off to other spiritual and intellectual learning because, I don't know, we just, we're not open really to the writings of other theologians in the world no. as much. No. You see, <laughs> what, what was it? I saw these metrics. The most quoted like people in general conference are like C.S. Lewis, and then after that's Abraham Lincoln or something like that, <laughs> which I get. But at the same time, I'm pretty sick and tired of C.S. Lewis. I love the dude. <laughs> it's just like really, that's it, you know. And it's yeah. only because that's kind of something we just like. It really yeah. sits well. A lot of those quotes really sit well with our perspective of things. Yeah. But there are other things out there that say a lot, yeah. and I'm always impressed by Mormon scholars. Who can kind of bring that? Pull in a lot. Of yeah, other pull contexts. in other things. You know, <laughs> yeah. like the the Givens who write like the God who weeps and yeah. the Crucible of Doubt and things like that. Yeah. It's like that's really impressive, considering that they are coming from an LDS perspective, but yeah. still writing about things that are complex and bringing it from other places. Yeah. The thing is, is like I, I'm 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 saying this as someone who does not know right, right. a lot of that stuff, right. and I'm because. I'm not exposed to it in church and you're kind of encouraged not to, you know, look for those sorts of things. It's like, Hey, listen, we got it all right here. We got all this scripture and we've got, you know, the last 200 some odd years, you know, people who've talked about it. It feels a little insecure to me sometimes. It does. (laughs) Yeah, it certainly does. I I remember on my mission, I was talking to some, you know, professor and he was like, so, you know, do you you get to like read other stuff like on the mission too? And I was like, well, not really. Yeah. (laughs) And he was like, that's sketchy. And I was like, yeah, I get what you're saying. I'm like, after I do this, I get to read other stuff. And he's like, but do you? And I'm like, that's a great point. Yeah. I don't because we don't encourage really um, theological understanding outside of church scholars. Yeah. And even then, actual church scholars who aren't like hold positions in the church, you know, can kind of be pariahs, you know, in the way that they think about things. Yeah. And... You know, and I, I've, I think yeah. I think we're doing a better job at starting to embrace the cult. Like, 
asking questions and, and discovering things. But I think we coddled that for a long time because we were afraid of it and afraid of what people would find. And therefore, yeah. let's just keep you here yeah. and fortify the foundation. Um, and then you can explore other stuff. Um, but Right. But, you know, the fortifying the foundation is almost just like insulating you from right. your own ignorance. Right. It starts to become. And right. I'm like, man, I just don't feel like Jesus was like that. You right. Know? right. <laughs> I feel like he could deal with a lot more nuance and intellectual right. rigor when it he came. He would have had to. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. He did. Yeah. Right. That was his whole thing. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's a tough thing. <laughs> it's an important thing, though. Yeah. It's a valuable thing context that's a it's an important trend i think for yeah for people to work with i remember what i was going to say earlier back when we were talking about like these you know these spiritual moments and these moments of isolation i was just thinking about you know like so i think that's what we think prayer is supposed to be right yeah it's yeah. like why didn't you do that at home man why did you come to church and sit down and not expect someone to talk to you what's wrong with you yeah you know it's yeah. how i kind of feel maybe the attitude would be yeah towards something like that yeah it's like this is church do that at home yeah here's the weird thing though <laughs> it's like i don't do that at home yeah. for some reason like you know there, there are a few moments where i feel like i have that isolation especially being married you know yeah be married to someone who's just talking to me all the time which is great shocking <laughs> yeah <laughs> You're talking all the time. It's like there's not a not a lot of moments of just pure spiritual reflection, and so right. you take them when you can get them. Yeah, and sometimes well, and there's that. a preparedness with being being prepared to take the sacrament and and taking the sacrament and entering a kind of a, a sacred space. You can then be pensive and thoughtful and enter a, a headspace that you maybe wouldn't be able to just dive into at home. Like, yeah, I just went for a run and scarfed dinner down and brushed my teeth. And now let me th- really think about that thing that I was trying to think about earlier. But the person mm. sitting next to me in sacrament meeting was doodling and I, it distracted me or, mm. you know, like I just, I think we're set up to have this like really valuable, important, reflective moment. And like, right when we get there, like okay now let's have people talk at us for right. the rest of the time and again there's benefits to all of that and i think it's an important aspect because that's that's also sometimes the way people have spiritual experiences too is to be able to express themselves and talk about things and yeah absolutely so that can be important but yeah anyway. no <laughs> that's a good point uh Anyway, I just want to go back to, too, like, this idea of, like, all of us being different in the church. Like, I remember I, you know, I so I got my degree in psychology at Mm BYU-Hawaii. But I remember we did this. It was called the Social Interest Scale. And, uh, you know, and then basically on every, you know, rating, it basically told you, like, who in the world would get a similar rating if they took the same test, right? So it's Uh like if you're at the top of the thing, you're like... Mother Teresa was it, right. you know, or something like that. And then, like, the average college student is actually very socially interested, right? It means you're more likely to give to charity. You're more likely to be engaged in humanitarian efforts, that sort of thing. More likely okay. to be liberal as well. And so it has all these things that keeps on going down and down. And I'm like, Where the, where's my score? <laughs> and I, it, it was, right next to it was, like, average American felon. And I was like, what? <laughs> It's like me and another person in this class. And I was like, hey, what now? Did you just tell me I'm like a serial killer? <laughs> what? 
<laughs> and I had the yeah, I had the social interest of the average American fellow, which I thought was hilarious. But it was just like, but no, I was just talking about just like that social interest is like, how much are you willing to really break out and interact with other people, and how is that fulfilling to you as a person to have those interactions, right? Huh. And for me, it's not as so much. You're a psychopath. Uh, I guess that's w- that's what the conclusion is <laughs> from our society. Pretty solid number, of- yeah. No, it's it's so interesting because it's like, no, I I think about that just because for you, you know, when you first got introduced to the church and going to the seminary classes, you were like, man, I fit in well with this and this is what I want to do and this is great. Let's just team up. Let's Mm -hmm. make this happen, right? For me, always growing up, it was, that's a scary place to be. Yeah. It was like church wasn't a fun place to be. Yeah. And seminary wasn't a fun place to be. It was always like something I felt compelled to do. It was like something like I should do this or else like I'm a bad person. And I like God, so like I don't want to be a bad person. Yeah. I don't want to offend him in any major way. Sure. So, but a lot of it was just kind of like I was going through the emotions of like, I don't want to feel tremendous shame for not being there. Yeah. Because it feels like everyone's really disappointed in those people who fall away from the church or are not doing everything they can and doing the things they should. And that's what what I kind of felt like my whole life. And that really was the primary emotion when it came to doing things yeah right and so yeah and i still kind of feel bad in the sense like i don't have like you know this really impulse to like go out and really serve people like in the moment with an individual i feel like i can empathize yeah and be there with them and talk to them and encourage them and be supportive um but it's not something that i really look for all the time you know and, you know, I just kind of, like, run into that. I'm just like, how many people are like that? I don't know. Well, right? you, that's an interesting thing and kind of sparks an interesting thought, too, because I found myself on the other side of that spectrum in that, like, to a fault where I went through a phase for a long time where I only defined myself by what I meant to other people. Mm. So I, I think you and I are sitting at opposite sides of, of a scale where – um, it's, hmm. yeah, I, I don't, n- neither maybe are, are comfortable because yeah, I was like throwing myself at people to feel valuable. I needed, to, I needed to be needed by others and in you order need, to And feel. you need them to express that, right? right? That like, Aaron, thank God you're here, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're crushing it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so that's why the, the, there was an interesting pivot that I alluded to earlier of like, I went through this whole phase of needing to just remove myself from what I meant to other people and only being like the sunshine kid for everyone else except for me and feeling like, okay, what's, what's Erin though? And what does she need? And Mm. how does she feel fulfilled without someone telling her that she's really great and that she really helped them solve her, their problem. And because all of that comes from intentions of just wanting to help people, but it suddenly leaned into like not really having an identity because I just only cared about what I, what I meant to other people and what I was doing for other people. And so it was this like counterfeit version of service because it was driven by filling a void for myself rather than the need to serve people. Interesting. Yeah. I think 
actually giving true, genuine, authentic service completely devoid of like personal interest, I feel like that's the rarity, you right. know? I feel like that's the uncommon thing. Yeah. That's what we strive towards, knowing that like we don't fully achieve that all the time. I think motives is a is a topic that theologians are still yeah. knees deep in trying to Yeah. To determine and define. I had a a long chat with the institute professor about this once and motives and what inspires motivating us in the, in the depths of me trying to work through like what is actually driving me to mm. to do the things that I'm doing and why I do certain things and um he alluded to in in certain circumstances we have a lot of fuel built up and we feel like we can really like drive our own car and then in other instances we're we're really kind of just running off of reserves and kind of just coasting Mm. and um yeah I just I think for a long time I just really cared to mean a lot to a lot of people and my dad had to have a really frank conversation with me once and just say hey this is not personal but you really don't mean that much to to everyone and that's that (laughs) that's not meant to be a a, a diss on you or to make you feel badly it's just that's the reality is you can't mean that much to everyone yeah and it it was a really big wake-up call to think you know what he's right I don't yeah. need to mean everything to everyone I your just, value is not how dependent people are on you right yeah right and that's where I was for a long time interesting so hmm. yeah couldn't be more different <laughs> <laughs> I know that's always fascinating I think I think it's super interesting yeah uh, no, maybe you and I are both, we're doing this now though. We're maybe we're walking coming in here. We're walking towards each other. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's interesting because, like, uh, I don't know if I told you this, but I was recently diagnosed with autism, and I was mm-hmm. I was talking to Mick about that a little bit last time. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was part of like, you know, so much of like what was making life hard and not that interesting to me, and why I didn't like it that much, just happened to be all these peripheral things that right. could be fixed, right? Right. Um. But, like, because I wasn't naturally gravitating towards, like, you know, these social situations where I didn't feel like I was performing very well, that was translated Performing. as I'm yeah. a bad person, oh, right? Yeah. I'm not a very good person, clearly, right? Because right. I'm not Because we make this. that association, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's been just kind of, like, a journey to figure out just, like, wh- what can I do that, like, you know, there's at least some standard of, like, I'm pushing myself to be the best self I can be. Right. Um, but measuring myself on, you know, certain things that make sense for me to measure right. myself on. Right. Because it's just clearly to I can't measure myself in the same way as other people No, do, and right? to unnecessarily yeah. suffer because you're trying to meet some kind of, I, not that these are synonymous, but I, I think about this a lot in the church with people that struggle with anxiety and depression where the a, a similar circumstance might be overwhelming for Mm. someone who has a a mental illness and I to have these expectations that it's the equity thing I guess that you were describing earlier is that we just like feel like everyone's operating from the same baseline and right when there's there's a lot of neurodiversity there sure and there's like peripheral things that need to be considered for how someone should and can participate and those are all equally as important whatever that participation looks like whether it's participation within oneself and (laughs) you know doing the things that that you need to do to 
to feel aligned with heaven. I mean, mm-hmm. isn't that our goal anyway, is to bring individual people closer to, to Christ. And I feel like we mesh that in with, but we all need to look the same and be doing the same things that kind of convolutes that objective yeah. from my perspective. So did you, did you find that to be like a relieving thing? Um, yeah. In ways I feel a million things about it. Sure. You know, I, yeah. And sometimes I'm still sitting there going like, what's, you know, like, what is this What does all this about? look yeah. like? Yeah. <laughs> there is a bit of relief in the sense that like, I, you know, I'll have these moments still where I look back on my life and I realize like, oh, oh. <laughs> that's why that was hard. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I thought it was because, you know, all these silly things that I thought, you know, yeah. and just like, has this been a long process then? I'm sure of. Yeah. 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 It's been pretty long. You know, I just, you know, had some doctors throughout my sure. life mention that being a possibility. Really? Yeah. And I was born, I was born, you know, just shaking my hands in the crib. Like I did a lot of self-stimming behaviors, Oh, really? which is n- n- not necessarily a symptom of autism, but happens sure. pretty, you know often sure yeah but um and i was doing that like crazy and i still do it all the time when i'm not around people just something i do but um uh yeah that was always like someone was like that was a little weird like yeah. even i knew it was yeah. weird. <laughs> this is odd, maybe. well it's like your dad makes fun and you're like what <laughs> yeah yeah wait i shouldn't do this in front of people no <laughs> no you should not that'll make people uncomfortable and that's the thing is like i feel like i've always been uh like I feel like I've been too aware of what's going on of myself and other people. When people do things that are embarrassing, I can't look at it at all. Like it drives me insane. Right. I, my dad and I were at a talent show once in grade school and we both had to leave Yeah. because I thought I was going to throw up. (laughs) Dad, I'm feeling sweaty. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This isn't good. I, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't pretend to enjoy it. I can't. They thought they were funny. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They think they're going to American Idol. Yeah. And I think they're tone deaf. I think a big part of that too is like, I'm afraid I'm doing that. Yeah. You know, I'm afraid I'm as clueless. Yeah. Right. When that happens. Cause it's like, it feels like I have been at some points. Sure. You know, I'm like, that's not a far reach. And I see someone doing that. I'm just like, I need to go die. Right. (laughs) And I feel like, especially in Utah, it's kind of a culture where, Everyone tells you you're good at singing, even if you're not. So. Oh, so funny. <laughs> so then you so worry true. about, like, am I also that? Because people are telling me that I'm talented and maybe I'm just not, <laughs> objectively, you know? But everyone has b- signed the petition that we tell someone they're good at singing, even if they're not. So. You have an incredible voice. Yeah. Yeah. Has anyone ever told you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Anyway, it's been a journey. Yeah. But. Wow. Yeah, no, it's just how do you feel comfortable with the things you're doing and with the church and how do you make that work for you too, right? Yeah. And I don't know all the answers on well, this I at just, all. I just think it's more human. And I, I don't think we – I think that there's a lot of really nitty-gritty, emotional, vulnerable aspects of grace that the church doesn't talk about enough. And it's just more like – our experiences, everyone's LDS, Catholic, Muslim or not, are all more human than I think certain faiths grant. And I think if 
there were a lot more people that genuinely understood what Jesus represented and what grace is and that were trying to face him at all times. If, if that's, if that's what we're doing (laughs) and, and whether it's Jesus or not, I mean, even people outside of any kind of religious affiliation, I, I just, I feel like if, if people are trying to face the right direction and do good things, then I'm honored to make their association genuinely. And Mm. it's not, I just, I think I have like a few pet peeves. One is when I can hear people chewing. Another is like elitist (laughs) entitled mindsets and behaviors (laughs) that like, because you belong to a certain Mm. affiliation that you're entitled to certain things. And listen, no one cares about you, man. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. You need to cut them down. Yeah, like my dad did. Yeah, well. <laughs> everyone needs it sometimes. Everyone needs it, but I just maybe I don't that's know. why it bothers you so much. Maybe <laughs> like maybe. you didn't learn my lesson. Yeah, you didn't learn my lesson, and now you need to. And I just I don't know. It's part of the like. I I remember I had a French professor once from in college. She was from Africa, and one really confusing concept that she talked about in America is how people get participation awards. And I just think that paints such a like accurate picture of, yeah, that you're a really good singer. Yeah, <laughs> like just that whole, yeah, yeah, that whole tone of like, I don't, I don't know if it's like the, the giver of those statements that feels like they need to show up a certain way and, mask stuff and give false compliments or if we feel like it's benefiting the receiver to actually tell them something that's not true but Mm. helps them feel better about themselves is i don't know just an odd coddling that i that's a whole nother a whole other subject but no like i agree you know i talked about this a little bit with mick but like i i was always so bad at compliments as a kid yeah and um i it's because like to me, the whole idea of the compliment really sets us up to be fake, you know? Yeah. Like, the whole premise. Like, it's not our fault. Like, it's not anyone's fault that we're giving false compliments because the whole idea is that you got to be courteous, you know? And right. that's one way you do it. And that's right. one way you make people like you is yeah. to give the compliments. Yeah. And since I don't care about anyone liking me, yeah. I didn't give them a lot yeah. because I didn't understand the point otherwise. Right. So, right. Um, but you, I feel like to really... I don't know, to give a sincere compliment, you got to like know that person so well. You yeah. Know? Even though compliments from strangers can be weirdly gratifying because sure. you're like, thank you. Wow. You know? Yeah. yeah. Even someone who doesn't know me thinks I'm good at it. See? Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's always been something like, it, it's such like an intimate thing to be able to say like, I've seen this about you. I admire it about you. I think you do really good at it. Yeah. You know? And that's awesome. Keep doing you. I think it's just like such a powerful thing that we're able to give to each other. Yeah. And that's why it's like too intense for me. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm just like, this is gross. I just need to like relax <laughs> for a second. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> it's just too much for me to handle. Oh my gosh. But, um, yeah, anyway. Yeah. But the thing is, I am not very interested in making new friends. Yeah. But Whenever I get to really know people, I'm always like, this is great. Yeah. You know? This is a good time. Yeah. You know? And it's so good talking to you about your story because, like, I don't get to do this very often where I get mm-hmm. to, like, really figure out yeah. where people come from yeah. and how that happens because I'm not that kind of person. Yeah. You know? I'm yeah. kind of like, let's put it on the schedule and, sure. maybe I'll, and I'll think about it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's why this is so great. Sure. But um, I feel like I've got a really good idea 
of who you are and what's going on. And I like it a lot. And, but I'm curious, you know, this is just a parting question. I was just like, is there anything you want people, you wish people knew about you that they don't know? Cause like already there's tons of things that I've learned about you that people wouldn't know off the bat. Right. Yeah. With your spirituality, you know, man, all your motivations now and you know, how you love your job and how you interact with it. You're extroverted, but now you're appreciating little introverts here and yeah. there, you know, <laughs> know how to utilize them. Yeah. I'd love to work with you. I'd be like, <laughs> just tell me what to do, Aaron. <laughs> Make me feel good when we get this done. <laughs> Let me close the door and yeah, sit yeah, without yeah. people disturbing Close that on the way out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, interesting. Um, something that I would want people to know. Um... I think I've appreciated layers that I've been able to acquire over my lifetime of like facets of my personality that don't belong to each other, where Mm. I could spend an entire afternoon lost in Jane Austen or Dostoevsky or Viktor Frankl and then spend the rest of the afternoon spitting Nicki Minaj lyrics and... I have seen a little bit of that. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to head out. <laughs> That's be, my cue. I'll be back for the second half. <laughs> That's my cue. Yeah. And I just, I, I think that there's so much that the world has to offer, which is a part of the reason why being in the world but not of it, I think when genuinely understood is, can be like a really powerful phrase because I think we need to be in the world. And I, I think sometimes people say in the world, but not of it, and then blanket that statement to mean disassociating from worldly things entirely. And I just don't think that's true. I think that, that there's so many manifestations of physical things that are important for our understanding. This was kind of the, the slam on business majors that we got in, oh, in yeah. business school mm-hmm. where I, I had a business law professor say, ask us, um, can everyone name some of the top universities in the country. So people start list- listing off mostly Ivy Leagues. Yeah. Harvard, Stanford, Princeton, Yale. Um, and my professor was like, great, 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 great. So now can, can everyone tell me what those universities have in common? And no one could think of anything. And he said, none of those universities allow you to get an undergraduate degree in business. Oh. You have to study something else first. <laughs> And then get a master's degree in how you want to apply business to whatever you studied. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. And so they, they only offer MBAs. I gotcha. Right. Yeah. So you can't go to Harvard and get an undergraduate, undergraduate degree in finance. You can go hmm. get an MBA after studying international relations or, or interesting. something. Interesting. Okay. And I. Although being slammed myself by being one of the subjects of who who was being addressed, yeah, loved that statement, and I love getting cut down. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> teach me, teach me. Um, but I just I I think there's so much that the world has to offer in things that look intellectual or academic or things that look artistic and. Um, nuanced. I just think all of it has something to offer. I try to equip my life with 
contraries and things that don't always seem like they fit together because it further informs my human experience and the number of people that I can ultimately connect to and relate to and potentially understand. So I think being around me, you start to uncover those things slowly. Yeah. And I've never really known how to describe that personality type, but I just, I think that's one of the like integral parts of me is playing into those contradictions. Yeah. I, I, I think I'm kind of like a personified contradiction in certain ways. That we there's, all are. There's like certain facets of my personality that like don't really collide with other parts, but I think that's what makes people interesting. Yeah, so. absolutely. That's great. That's what well, I would say. I think you're interesting, Aaron. <laughs> Thanks, Hunt. I love that you're going to mass and going to sacrament and, you know, you're getting cut down by your dad and loving <laughs> the introverts a bit. All of it's awesome. So, yeah, I love that I had this opportunity to talk to you a little bit more. I think this has been great. So, so flattered to be here. Yeah. So glad you're doing this. This is a really cool thing. Yeah, and I'm really excited to see what you're going to do in life because, well, I mean, already it's been great, but... <laughs> What you're doing is awesome. But yeah, it's going to be exciting. Thanks, so, Hunter. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Okay, get out of here. Getting out. <laughs>